My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're thankful that you're with us in what we call our living room. Um, this coming Friday is Good Friday. We'll be uh, remembering, reflecting on the sacrifice of Jesus together as a church family. Details are in your program. Don't miss an opportunity to be together that night. We haven't done a Good Friday service before, so I'm looking forward to that as a church. Then Sunday is Easter. Two identical services, 9 a.m. and 1030. Uh, first time we've celebrated Easter here in this new location. Uh, very excited about that. So invite your friends. Uh, let's fill up this place twice and uh, see what God wants to do as we celebrate uh, that Jesus has risen together. Next Sunday, then, is our official launch of moving from one to two Sunday services. A big thank you to the volunteers who, who have and are stepping up uh, to serve and identify with Jesus in that way, to love, to give back, uh, to partner with us in this great mission that we are on. If you call Crosspoint your church home and you have yet to connect to a ministry, now is a great time to jump in. Uh, let me just say, you're, you're needed and you're invited, all right? Uh, we're doing our part. Now, you're needed, you're invited. So uh, if you have yet to connect to a ministry, uh, go back to Guest Connections after the service, fill out a card, say, I'd like to be involved in ministry, and we'll get you connected. Uh, send us an email, info at crosspointcc.org. Call us, find a way to connect to us, and we will connect you to a ministry to serve in given that way. Even if you just started recently coming, like literally, maybe today is your first day, but you're saying, this is the place I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve, this is the place I'm going to grow in. And so there's ministries such as First Impressions to jump into right away, a ministry that's vital to our Sunday experience here. Or if you've been here six months or longer, then connect to Sun Chasers and invest into the next generation in that way. The church is most effective when people are up off the bench and in the game and serving and involved in this great mission. So I encourage you to do your part in the body, as a member of the body, to do your part uh, to ultimately bring the Father glory. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll get into the message. Uh, Father God, uh, I just um, I, I pray that your Holy Spirit would enable me to uh, teach well today, uh, not for my sake at all, but uh, ultimately for your credit and for your honor. I pray that you'd spur us on in our uh, relationship with you and our relationship with one another and our uh, relationship with those yet to be reached and those yet to know you. Um, Lord, I pray that uh, you would just give us uh, uh, open hearts, uh, tender hearts, humble hearts, and open ears to be able to hear from you and to uh, not only understand and, and grow in knowledge, but to then uh, be changed as a result of it and that our lives would look differently after today, and look more and more like you. And we love you. In your name, amen. All right. Last couple of weeks, we've been in a series called Pray Like Jesus. We're looking at the prayer life of Jesus and some of his prayers recorded in Scripture. Last week, we were in John 17. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there again. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, get one off Guest Connections. Call that uh, your own. Let that be our gift to you today. Last Sunday, we looked at the first 13 verses of John 17. Today, we'll finish up that chapter uh, it's known as the high priestly prayer. Jesus is our high priest. He is the mediator between us and the Father. He is the one who bridged the gap uh, of our sin through the cross and through the re resurrection. He offered himself as the sacrifice for our sin. And when we repent and when we, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we are clothed in his righteousness. On the cross, Jesus took on all our sin, all the weight of it, and this great exchange happened. The wrath of God the Father was poured out on God the Son. And for those who have confessed Christ as their Savior, follow Him as their Lord, we are saved from that wrath by the grace of God. Jesus, the perfect one, took on the sins of an imperfect people. 
He died in our place. He was our substitute. Jesus, the righteous one, took on the rebellion and the, and the disobedience of us, the unrighteousness of us. And if you're a believer in Christ today, your sins are no longer counted against you as a result. So when the Father looks at you, He sees a child that He loves and has forgiven and redeemed through the sacrifice of His Son and now gives us the Holy Spirit to, to, to dwell with us, to enable us, to empower us to live in a way that brings glory back to the Father. This is the Trinity at work. So when it comes to prayer, we, we've talked about this last couple of weeks, we pray to the Father, through the Son, and by the Spirit. Once again, the context of this prayer in John 17. Jesus knows the end of his life is near. Following this, this prayer, he will be betrayed, arrested, convicted, uh, beaten, mocked, and die on a cross. And yet he knows that he will rise again and return to the glory of heaven. And that whole context is, is one reason why we're looking at these prayers in the season on the calendar with Good Friday and Easter coming up next weekend, moments for us to reflect, reflect and remember these moments in Jesus' life. This prayer was faithfully recorded by John, who was one of Jesus' Jesus's disciples. And in it, uh, Jesus prays for himself and for his disciples who are with him right there in that moment and for those disciples who would follow him in the generations and centuries and years to come. That includes us here at Crosspoint and for those believers who call this place home. And so in his final moments of freedom, he's praying for these three things, including us. And so when you take a step back, uh, if you're a believer here today, you realize that Jesus was praying for you. And the crazy thing is, is you, you and I, we actually have the opportunity to answer Jesus' prayer recorded in John 17 through our way of life, by our way of life. In your communication with others, whether it's a marriage or business or with friends, have you ever had those moments of, why don't you just tell me what, what you want? Why don't you just tell me what you want? Why, if you have expectations for me at work, just tell me the expectations so I, can, so I don't have to guess. Honey, just tell me what, what, you, what you want so I don't have to assume. Maybe you've had those moments. Well, the great thing about this passage of Scripture is we get to read a prayer of Jesus that he was praying for us and then go out and do it. We don't have to guess or wonder how he prayed for us or what did he mean by that or I wonder what, what Jesus wanted. We can see it right here in John 17. Last week we finished on verse 13 and we're going to go back to that and then finish out the chapter. We'll kind of take this and uh, I think it's four big chunks of scripture and pull out some things that the Lord is praying for and then how our lives and how our church is to uh, reflect those, those things that he's praying for. Verse 13 he says, but now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. We talked a bit about this last week, uh, but here Jesus is praying for our joy, that we would be filled with the joy of Christ as his followers. An interesting subject here, considering the context here of Jesus' soon betrayal and crucifixion. In our lives, we can either find our joy in created things or in, in our creator in things or in Christ. So we look to material possessions, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, the uh, sex, money, we work, or we find our joy in Christ. We've been made to worship. This is that's how God has designed and wired us. And Romans 1 talks about how we've exchanged the, uh, we, we've rejected our creator and worshiped and served created things versus him. In other words, our sin nature wants to try to find our joy in the world rather than in Jesus. 
For example, we think, well, when I marry, when I finally marry and I'm no longer single, or when I sleep with this girl, or when I finally have a boyfriend and he finally proposes like he should, or we, or we get this, to this level of income, or we get rid of this spouse, or we live in this kind of house, or we go on that vacation, or we finally make it to Friday night. If I could just make it to Friday night, then I'll find joy. And the short answer is, is all of those are simply empty promises. A phrase that we did a six-week series on last fall, looking at empty promises. And if you weren't here at that point, I'd encourage you to go on iTunes and listen to that series. This idea that on the outside, it appears that these things hold the promise to fulfill, hold the promise to give joy and satisfaction, but in the end are empty and unfulfilling. And many of us, we, we know that, right? Through oftentimes hard lessons. We, we've often learned the, the hard way that these pursuits don't lead to a place that honors Jesus or stirs our love for him or for those around us. And in this prayer, Jesus is going to draw this distinction but, uh, that his followers are sent into the world, but not of the world. So the source of our joy, source of our strength, is to be found in Jesus and not in the world because we are not of the world. When we give our lives to Jesus, we're given the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us, enabling us, empowering us, counseling us, leading us toward the truth. And as a result, the focus of our lives shifts from self to Him. From what can I get to what can I give? From live only for today versus living every day in light of eternity. When we put our faith and trust in Christ, the the Lord gives us a new heart, a new spirit. He removes from us a heart of a heart of stone or heart of uh, pride and instead gives us our heart of flesh, heart of humility. All truths found in Ezekiel 36. So what used to be tempting, we now flee from. Where we used to say, serve me or make me the center, we'll say, I'll serve you and I'll make Jesus the center. Where we used to say, this world is just about me, myself and I, we now say, I want to make a difference for God's glory, not mine, for God's kingdom, not mine. Because my heart is not for me. It's now for others. I've been given a new heart, a new spirit. And so as a result, the source of our joy is now to be in Jesus. This is what he prayed for in verse 13. So we can take joy even in the trial or testing. God will use it for his purposes, whether it's to impact others or change our own hearts or both. So now, as a believer in Christ, my identity is in Him. I've been made new. My life has been saved, and as a result, I realize that I don't live in a world that's random and chaotic, but rather has purpose and meaning. A sovereign sovereign God over all of it. A sovereign God that is my Father and calls me, as a believer, His child, so I can take joy in Christ the Son who makes that even possible. Jesus then continues praying in verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus is praying for us as missionaries, as sent ones. Uh, You might have gotten up this morning not realizing that you're a missionary. You thought, well, 
I'm a student, I'm a mom, I'm a teacher, I'm a business owner, I'm a coach, I'm an analyst, I'm a salesman, I'm a carpenter. And while that may be your vocation, you and I are sent into and missionaries to the world around us. Now, the the word missionary conjures up all these ideas of third world countries and other languages and different cultures, and all of that is true. There are unreached people groups all over the world that we are called to take the good news to. Acts 1.8 is very clear that, that the gospel is to go to the ends of the earth, but it's also very clear that it's to go to your own hometown. The gospel needs to go around the corner in our own neighborhood to the person across the aisle at work, to the kid whose locker is next to yours. The idea of missionaries is not just global, but it's local as well. Jesus was sent. He was sent more than 40 times in the gospel of John alone. Jesus says, the Father sent me. So as the Father sent me, so I'm going to send out my followers. This is what he's saying. So if you're a believer in Christ, then you're a missionary. Then you are sent. You are sent. When you get up and go to school and you, and you walk into that school, you're sent by your Savior into the world. When you walk into work, you're, you're sent just as Jesus was sent. This is where our lives begin to answer his prayer. When we, when we realize that truth and then act on it. It means that with our words, our actions, our attitudes, how we live our lives, how we speak of, all of that reflects the Savior that we say we love and we worship. It means that we authentically and humbly share the story of what Jesus has done in our hearts and our lives. We share the good news with the people around us that God has sovereignly placed into our paths. Consider some of these truths. Uh, God formed you before the foundations of the world. He chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, John 15. So where you live, when and where you were born, the family you were born into, the children you have or will have, the place you go to work, the school you attend, the student that sits, sits next to you in class, the neighbors that just moved in next door, the neighborhood that you just moved into, it's all part of God's work in your life. You're not in those places by accident. You've been sent. And Crosspoint, we've been sent. As a church, we've been sent into this region for such a time as this to impact this community, this world with the good news of Jesus. And so as a church, we want to answer his prayer. Just as he he was sent, So we are sent into the world, and we want to answer that prayer. You also see in these verses that he talks about uh, that we've been sanctified. Jesus prays that we'd be sanctified in truth. Now, what in the world does that mean? It means believers in Christ have been set apart. Some of you, you might have uh, two sets of dishes at, at your home. We don't have this, but some of you might have this, especially maybe if you're early in your marriage or... Uh, maybe if you've um, been married 50 years, you might have this. But uh, two sets of dishes. And, and on one set of dishes, you do not heat up your Hot Pocket on this set of dishes. All right? This is reserved for your... That's just, I, don't, I don't eat Hot Pockets. But anyways, I won't. That's a whole other comedy bit about that. But, um, so you don't heat up your Hot Pocket on that. All right? You, heat up your, uh, you, you serve your turkey and your dressing on this set of dishes. Because it's set apart. It's set apart for a special purpose, for special occasions. Jesus was consecrated. He was set apart for a specific mission and purpose. He was holy and perfect. 
So just as Jesus was sent, so we are sent. Just as he is set apart or sanctified, so we are set apart for a specific mission. As followers of Jesus, he is our teacher. His way of life is what we are following. His word is what we're reordering our lives around, realigning our lives. So as a result, we are his students and we are, we are to live lives of holiness. We are to be holy as he is holy. Our conduct, our conduct should set us apart. Now, with that last sentence, some of us immediately think, well, we're good because we don't do X, Y, and Z. I mean, my conduct sets me apart because I obey the don'ts of Scripture. I don't lie. Well, no, I'm... 90% of the time, I don't lie, I don't gossip, I don't steal, I don't fall into sexual sin. But that's only half the picture. Our conduct is not just pleasing to God because we avoid the things that are not from Him. It also means our lives are pleasing to Him when we actually do the things that He commands us to do. To be a follower of Jesus is not just an avoidance game or what we choose not to do. It's what we choose to do. So, so we choose to love our spouses and feed the poor and love the outcast. Forgive freely. We choose to pray for our enemies. We choose to avoid bitterness. We choose to bear with one another in love and put up with one another for the sake of the gospel. So we are to be set apart in our conduct. How we live our lives should look differently than how the world says to live life. So as a result, how we handle money, sex, relationships, crisis, trials, works, our words, it should look differently than what the culture would say. Now, here's the other part of sanctification. When we get saved and give our lives to Jesus, we are set apart, we are sanctified. But that does not mean that we are instantly free from temptation of sin or immediately selfless. We don't immediately take on the attitude of Christ. If you've been a believer longer than a week, you know this truth, right? I do. That while we are set apart for a specific mission, we also fight against our sin nature. Galatians 5 talks all about that, kind of waging war against our sin nature. So our sin nature wants to make every relationship about us. It wants to seek first our little kingdom and invest into our little kingdom rather than God's kingdom. Or wants to do the bare minimum at work rather than working and doing everything for the glory of God. Or walks into church saying, feed me, serve me. What are you going to do for me? What programs you got for me? Rather than how can I serve and feed others? How can I join you in this mission? How can I partner with you and what God is doing through you? So we are sanctified. We are set apart. But we're also sanctified as we live. In other words, the intent of a believer's life is to be more and more free from sin, and grow to be more and more like Jesus. And that process is not finished until Jesus returns for us or we die, go to heaven to be with him. Uh, we took a vacation to North Carolina uh, three or four years ago. And one of the places we stopped was Billy Graham's uh, library, kind of his, uh, his hometown, uh, his boyhood home in Charlotte. And uh, uh, one of the things that struck me from that trip had, um, had nothing to do with the library or anything like that. It had to do with his, wife's, his, his wife, um, uh, Ruth, thank you, her uh, tombstone. And it said, construction now complete. 
And she had seen this uh, road sign driving. And she told Billy, well, that, I, I want that to be my epitaph. I want that to be my, uh, the thing that, that kind of captures it because it's true. Sanctification is complete. That, that part of becoming like Christ is complete, not the side of heaven. It's complete when we see Christ face to face. So, this means that as Christians, we don't take on this aura of perfection, arrival, or spiritual pride because we aren't perfect. We haven't arrived, and we pursue humility in Christ rather than pride. Yes, we've been justified. We've been made right before God. Thanks be to Jesus, our Savior. Our trust and faith is in Christ. But we then spend the rest of our lives joining God in this role of sanctifying us, making our hearts, our attitudes, our words, our lives more and more like Jesus. And Jesus prays in uh, John 17 that we would be sanctified by the truth. And what's that truth? The truth is, is the Word, John 17 tells us. The Word is our Bible. So the process of sanctification is not simply a passive one where God does all the work and we just kind of simply lay and receive it all. Yes, it's ultimately a work of the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts, renew our minds, and yet we join God in this process. And one way we join Him is through reading and studying the Bible, and not just that, but then allowing its truth to actually change us. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us four ways that it changes us. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you're brand new to reading the Bible today, start in the book of John. If you've been disconnected from the Word for years, start in the book of John. Get reconnected with Jesus, who is both Savior and Lord. If you need a good uh, study Bible, we will, hook you up for, uh, we will get you one for free today. All right, so please don't leave. We'll get you one for free. If, if you've been in the Word and you're just not on any sort of specific plan right now, go to uversion.com. Get on a plan get some intentionality to to your scripture reading invite a friend look up a plan invite a friend let's do this together let's read the word together let's share what we're learning what we're being challenged in uversion.com it's a great thing it's on your smartphones as well Uh, this is one way we answer jesus's prayer he's saying i want my followers to obey my word i want them to be more like made more like me through it because my words are truth they're not just true but the word is word is truth a true statement is that desserts taste better without nuts, all right? Uh, maybe. Maybe that's true for me. A true statement is the Cardinals are consistently better than that team up north and not the White Sox. Oh, some other team, yeah. Um, I'm just saying. Um, it's the facts. Um, uh, the, a true statement is that I'm ready for spring and I'm done with winter. I'm just done with it, all right? So in this prayer, we, we, we see Jesus talking about The word is truth. It's not just true, it is truth. There's no greater authority than Scripture. We learn that followers of Jesus are set apart and sanctified in this prayer. We we learn that we are sent back into the world. Set apart and sent. We talked about this briefly in Soul Detox, but to that tension of being in the world but not of the world, set apart but also sent, Christians tend to swing to two extremes. Jesus addresses both of them because he knew This would be our tendency. Jesus prays in verse 15 to address the first side of it. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. 
one tendency is for believers to say, yes, we are set apart. We are, we are made holy. We are sanctified. So as a result, we are going to disengage and disconnect from culture. We're, we're going to stop being friends with, with, with anybody who doesn't know Jesus. We're going to unplug everything. All right? This is the bomb shelter mentality. In a sense, they stock up on food and water and hunker down and just kind of wait for the trumpet to blow and Jesus to return. Or they just kind of quietly hope that they'll die in their sleep and some, someday go to meet with Jesus. It's as if they have this conversation with the father. Can, can we leave now? It's really dark out there. And the father says, yes, I know, but, but you're the light. Oh, people are really messed up, father. I know. And so were you before you met my son, Jesus. So go now and make disciples. Go tell others about the good news. They separate, but they forget that they're also sent. So, so we're not taken out of this world. Jesus literally prays that we would, the Father would not take us out of this world, but that we'd be sent into it. On the other side, and in that same verse, Jesus prays, but that you keep them from the evil one. So on the other extreme, what Christians will do is we, we, we fully realize that we are sent. We engage the lost. We, uh, we engage a broken world. But in the process, neglect to make Jesus the center message that we are communicating. We, we do a lot of good things, but the gospel is not at the base of them, not at the core of, it, of the message that we are sharing. So if the previous group saw church as a bomb shelter, for this group, church simply becomes a mirror to the culture where we know we are sent but neglect that we are set apart. So this group falls into the trap of, well, culture says it's okay, so uh, it's okay for us. Or the world says it's okay, so we think it's okay. And culture becomes the authority rather than God's word, which is truth. And Jesus is praying to the Father, protect them from the evil one. We do have a spiritual enemy whose mission is to steal, kill, and destroy, John 10.10. And Jesus is saying, protect them, Father. And so to both of these groups, they're both right and they're both wrong. Yes, we are set apart, but also sent into the world that is lost without Christ and in desperate need of the good news. Yes, we are sent, but we are also set apart and called to pursue holiness and to become more like Jesus. So in this mission that Jesus sends us on, there are some enemies to the accomplishment of that mission. If any of you, uh, you know, think of the great hero movies, all right? They're out all the time. There are always things that hinder the success of the mission that the hero is on. Everything from the bad guys to the personal struggles, the loss of a loved one back in the day or loss of a wife or a girlfriend or a lack of resources. Well, I don't have a gun, so I'm going to have to fashion something out of duct tape and something else, I'm gonna, but I'm going to be able to get it done. I mean, there's always obstacles to a hero's mission. Well, in Jesus' prayer, we, we get a glimpse into some enemies that we face in this mission. We talked about a couple just a minute ago. We neglect that we, either, that we are set apart or we neglect that we are sent in the next section of prayer, Jesus is going to talk about another enemy that is division and disunity. And you might think, well, this is why I have my faith just be me, my Bible, and my God. Because I have unity within myself and I agree with all the choices I make and all my decisions are unanimous because I'm the only one voting. This is a great scenario. I just like come to church and I, it's just me, my Bible, and my, my God. And then I go back home and it's just me, my Bible, and my God. And that's not how God designed it, frankly. It's not the design of the New Testament. What you see in the New Testament is that we are following Jesus together. 
We are pursuing the mission together. We are serving together, growing together, being changed together. And so we must be unified together. Jesus knew that we would be prone to a spirit of division as his children. So this is one reason why he's praying for this in John 17. If you're here and uh, you don't have kids yet um, or hope to someday, I'll fill you in on a little secret. If you have two or more children, they will not always get along. I know this is, this is just revolutionary. I know. They will be prone to squabble and have some dust-ups, to use some toxic words, we'll call them, toward one another, all right? To not always be quick to put the other person before themselves. Like, oh, no, you go first. That's fine. They just won't be naturally prone to that. If you wonder if we are totally depraved, have children, all right? And then try to parent them, and the Holy Spirit will expose that in your own heart and as you parent them. Now, it doesn't have to be the norm. It doesn't have to be the norm. As parents, we're continually shepherding the hearts of our children toward Jesus and toward unity and love toward one another. Oh, you don't get along? We'll hold each other's hands because you're best friends forever. I mean, these are the things we do as parents, right? And it's beautiful when it happens. It's, it, it's absolutely gorgeous. Like, oh, that's the way when they serve one another and they encourage one another. It's beautiful. And here Jesus is praying for us as his future believers that we'd be unified and not divided. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as you loved me, or loved them even as you loved me. Okay, so you see here, uh, I and you, and you're in me, and you're in me, and I and you, and Father, we're unified. Remember, God exists in three persons, Father, Son, Spirit. God is unified within himself. He demonstrates that this is how it's done. Jesus is reminding us of the unity we have uh, between the Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit, and that is our pattern as God's church. That is our pattern as God's people is the Trinity. So when we come to Jesus, we are reconciled to God, but we are also reconciled to one another. And we gain this whole big family, all these new brothers and sisters, and just like in your family, we will be prone to division and getting irritated, annoyed, frustrated with one another, much like siblings in a family. And yet, we are called to love and unity. I mean, can I just say this? We do this to our kids sometimes, um, where they get up, you know, when they were younger, they'd, they'd have fighting, and they'd hold each other's hands, and they'd work it out, all right, just kind of forced. Maybe for you, maybe for this week, maybe even today before you leave here, you need to do that with somebody here. I don't, I don't know. I'm just kind of throwing that out. I don't know if that's a Holy Spirit thing or just Dave. But maybe for you, you just need to get face-to-face with somebody and say, I'm sorry, and humble yourself and and just allow the gospel to be central to that relationship. Now, does this call for unity mean that truth doesn't matter or that there are no absolute truths? Not at all. There are some closed-fisted, non-negotiable truths of our faith. The Bible is God's word. Salvation is found only through Jesus and not our works. God is creator and holy. We are both sinful and in need of a savior. We're lost without Jesus. 
Jesus died on the cross for our sin and rose again three days later and one day is returning. Heaven and hell are real places and whether we choose to reject or receive Jesus determines where we spend eternity. So yes, truths and yes to being called to unity and unity is around Jesus. Unity is a byproduct of us together following Christ. And according to Romans 15, 5 and 6, our unity we have with one another then glorifies God the Father. Our church logo is actually a, a picture of how we are unified with one another. The cross, the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus is at the center. Jesus is the one who reconciles us to God so that we might be devoted to Jesus. And through Jesus, we are then reconciled to one another so we can be dedicated to one another. And then we are called to carry that message of reconciliation to the world around us. We are driven to reach people. 2 Corinthians 5 talks all about this message or this ministry of reconciliation. So it's not the affinity that we share or the commonalities or our background. It's not the pastor that unites us. It's our common love and faith in Christ that does that. Now, we've said this before, but unity does not mean uniformity. Jesus is not praying, okay, they need to like all the same things. They need to dress all the same way. They need to be like, like, like all the same things and everything looks the same. Look around. We can't answer that prayer, can we? So we are made distinct with different passions and gifts and experiences, but that distinction should not lead to division, but rather unity around Jesus and accomplishing His mission in the world. And so we answer the prayer of Jesus when we pursue unity with one another, when we avoid sins that destroy unity, such as gossip or unforgiveness or pride, and when we obey the Lord in things that that bring unity, like humbling ourselves and joyfully following leaders and bearing with and serving one another. And we answer his prayer when we then move from isolation to biblical community with one another. This is one reason why we are continually pushing you from just a Sunday attendance thing to find a ministry to serve in, to find a community group to be involved in. As we grow larger, it's cliche, but as we grow larger, we must grow smaller in the relationships we build with one another. That's only more important as we launch a second service. So Jesus prays for our joy that, we, that we'd be set apart from the world's ways, and yet we'd be sent into the world as missionaries on mission to make disciples, that we'd reflect the unity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in how we are unified. And then Jesus closes his prayer starting in verse 25. Father, here it is again. We've said this now for three weeks in a row addressing his prayer with Father. Not formalized religious language, but talking to and listening to his Father. Not focused on, okay, what do I say first? And are these words the right ones? I I hope I don't sound dumb. Because the focus isn't on us. It's on the Father. It's on our, our identity as his children. So we pray out of that identity. Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with them where I where, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus is eternal. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you have sent me. I have I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. His final prayer for us is that we would know that He loves us. That we would know 
that he's going to the cross to pay the price for our sin, that he would rise again for our salvation, conquering sin and death, that if we turn from sin and believe and trust in Christ, he will give us joy and mission and unity, and he will give us his love. Crosspoint, I pray, especially in this Easter season, you and I might be struck with how much we are loved by Jesus. How we see the love, how we see his love demonstrated for us on the cross. How we read of his love here in John 17. I pray that we as a church, as believers, would be intentional about answering his prayer through our way of life, through our willingness and humility to learn from and to be changed by his word. So to pray like Jesus is to pray that we would find our joy in Christ alone and in nothing else. That the Lord would reveal to us if there are things not of God that we're trying to find our joy in. To pray like Jesus is to pray that we'd be set apart and made more and more like him in our lives. That our hearts and our our way of life would be changed as we read, study, and then talk about the Bible in community with others. To pray like Jesus is to pray that we'd be reminded often and daily that we are sent, just as Jesus was sent. That we are sent to go and make disciples the other six days of the week. For the Lord to show us how he wants us and who he wants us to to invest his love in, to share his love in, share the the gospel with, to share our lives with. To pray like Jesus is to pray for unity within the church and among believers, to ask the Lord how we can help maintain unity and avoid uh, division and how he's asking us to join him in this mission that we are on. And to pray like Jesus is to thank him for his unfailing, unconditional, never stopping, never quitting, never giving up kind of love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are Father. We thank you that uh, we as believers, are adopted into your family. I thank you for this body of Christ, for all these brothers and sisters here together. And Lord, just uh, corporately together, uh, we pray for these things that you talked about here in John 17. We pray our joy would be in you and you alone. We confess that our tendency is to try to find our joy in created things. And I pray that you would convict us and help us to turn from those things this week. Reveal them to us. Search our hearts. And then as you reveal, I pray that we would respond accordingly. That we'd turn from those empty promises and turn toward you. Our joy would be in you and you alone. I thank you for the mission that you have us on. This mission that you talked about in John 17. I thank you that uh, just... at that this mission is greater than anything that we could come up with on our own. I thank you that we are sent and we are set apart. Remind us often that we are sent. Remind us when we go to school or go to work or go home. Everywhere in between, remind us that we are sent to go and make disciples, to testify, to be a witness of your good news to the world around us. And remind us that we are set apart when we are to pursue holiness and grow to be more like you. And I pray that your word would do that. I pray that as we get into your word, that you give us a friend or friends to to read the word together with and that through it we would be taught and we'd be rebuked, rebuked, we'd be corrected, and we'd be trained. 
so that we'd be trained for this life, so we could be, uh, bring you glory in everything. And Father, as a church, I, I pray that you give us unity. I thank you for the unity you've, you've given us for years and years and years. We give you all the credit for that and all the honor for that. And I pray, especially as we launch into a second service and move into this new season, that you would continue to give us unity so that the world around us would know who you are and your goodness and your greatness. And I thank you for your love. I thank you for your, uh, your just your unfailing, unconditional love in our lives. I thank you for the way the love is displayed on the cross. I thank you for the season that we are in, in the Easter season, to remember that. I pray that uh, our hearts would be moved greatly this week. We'd be reminded of our identity in you and your great love for us. We love you, Jesus. Thank you that you first loved us. We give you ourselves. We give you this church. Thank you that you're the chief shepherd. You're the rock that this church is built on. Use it for your glory. Use it to advance the kingdom of God, not for our sake, but for yours, not for our glory, but for yours. We follow you. We trust you. Our faith is in you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good Friday. Details are in your program. Easter, invite somebody, 9 o'clock and 10.30. God bless. Have a good week.